Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We are in chapter 4 today. As Peter begins this to bring together everything he's been talking about to really focus on the persecution and suffering that the, the readers of his letter are going to have to go through, he begins to address that in chapter 4. And uh, I'm entitling the message today, Changed by the Cross of Christ, because the cross of Christ was that place of suffering where Jesus died in our place and suffered for our sins. And there's this challenge that we're given as followers of Christ to, to suffer and to have the same attitude as Christ. I was thinking about preparing for this sermon, uh, how this community went through uh, Hurricane Harvey and how we have been changed by that time. We've been changed by the suffering and the difficulty and the tragedy that was there. And most of us have come out on the other side of that. Some are still coming out on the other side of that and seeing how God has, has taught us through that. Well, I want you to follow along as I read in the first six verses of chapter four, and we'll make application today. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, in order to live in the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in an unrestrained behavior, Evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into that same flood of wild living. And they slander you. And they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they may be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm." Again, this is one of those passages that has a lot of difficult uh, interpretation with it, but I'm going to try to focus on some key things that we can uh, be uh, to apply to our lives today as we can really take home the truths of how we, like Christ, have been changed. First of all, we as followers of Christ have a different calling. Number one, if you're taking notes, we have a, a different calling. The first couple of verses there, when he says, therefore Christ suffered, you need to equip yourselves. Let's walk through this different calling. First of all, we are called to follow the Savior. We're called to follow the Savior. Verse one, therefore since Christ suffered, equip yourselves also with the same resolve. That word equip is, is the word that was used for a soldier who was putting on his armor, getting ready to go into battle. So in, in essence, he's saying, arm yourselves. Look, put on the armor of God. Be ready to go into battle as a good soldier. And he says, equip yourselves with the same resolve in verse one there. That resolve, that attitude. He's saying, you need to have the same attitude Christ had when he went to the cross with this, this desire to suffer so that sin could be dealt with. You need to have this same resolve that I'm gonna go at the Christian life like a soldier going into battle. Nothing's gonna stop me, nothing's gonna hold me back. I was thinking about the book of Ruth and the, the story is told in the Old Testament of the book of Ruth about um, 
Naomi and how her husband had died and then her, her sons had passed away. So she's a widow and her daughters-in-law are widows and they're going back to Judah. And she stops and tells her daughters-in-law, you don't have to go back with me. You stay, go back to your homes in Moab. And this is what Ruth says to her. She says, do not persuade me to leave you or to go back and not follow you. And Ruth says this to her mother-in-law. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do it severely, if anything but death separates me from you. I love that. I read that at weddings because it's such a, a picture of commitment between the husband and the wife. That's the commitment we're to have to Christ. The same resolve that says, let nothing but death separate me. Let nothing get in the way of my pursuit of following the Savior. Romans chapter 12, Paul says it this way as he's writing to, to his, uh, the readers of the book of Romans. These first couple of verses here, many of us have memorized that and it just pictures the attitude we're to have. Romans chapter 12, one and two. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. And then as you present yourselves, as you, you sacrifice your life for Christ, look at verse two. Do not be conformed to this age or this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Paul says it like Peter says it. Peter says, have this same resolve. In verse 2, Peter says that you can no longer live for human desires, but for the will of God. Paul says in Romans 12 that you should commit your life to live according to God's perfect and pleasing will. We're called to follow the Savior I was reading about the reformer John Huss, and he so believed in the word of God that even at his, at his execution, before they, before they executed him, and, and they gave him one more chance to renounce his faith, and this is what he said. He would rather die at the stake. He said, what I have taught with my lips, I will seal with my blood, and he was killed at the stake. That's our, that needs to be the resolve we have as followers of Christ. I'm willing these words that I speak, this testimony that I have as a follower of Christ, I'm willing to, to lay down my life. I have that same resolve to follow the Savior. But I'm thinking about this phrase there. Peter says you should have this same resolve. The, the resolve that Christ had was to deal with sin, to have an attitude that he hated sin. So that leads me to my next uh, description of a calling, this different calling. I follow the Savior, but also I'm called to forsake sin to forsake, to, to put it away, to, to have it no longer be something that controls my life. That same attitude that Christ had a hatred towards sin, that needs to be my attitude towards sin also. In verse two, we have this remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires. We are not to live for ourselves. We are not to live with, with a, a life of self-gratification I read a, somebody posted something recently on social media. I think it's anonymous. It just said this, Christians are different, not because they don't sin, but because they hate the fact that they still have anything to do with it. I like that. We know that in, in the scripture, in fact, I'd like to read Romans chapter 6. We looked at Romans 6 last week, I believed, and, and I, I jumped ahead. But just look at verse, um, verse 5 with me in Romans chapter 6. Paul describes this, this attitude. For we... For if we have been joined with him, Christ, in the, in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that the old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion or control over the body might be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. doesn't say that we no longer sin, we're no longer to be slaves to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims, 
Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. That's the reality that we, that we demonstrate when we baptize a person. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. The old man put to death, a new man given this life to walk in, in, in newness of life. Look at verse 10. For in the light of the fact that we died, we died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11 is the key. So you, too, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. To be dead to sin means that it will no longer be controlling my life. Before I trusted Christ as my Savior, I could not say no to sin. I didn't have the power in, my, in, my, in myself. But now that I know Christ as Savior, I have the ability to say no to sin instead of yes to sin. Forsaking sin. Stephen Cole shares this example of the attitude that, that we're, we're to, to have towards sin, to, to forsake it. He gives this example. He says, imagine that if a man and his wife were traveling through the city and, and somebody stopped them and, and attacked them and the, the husband gave his life to protect his wife and this man was coming to, to do violence to her. And that the husband gave his life to protect his wife and later after the husband's funeral, it would be ridiculous for that wife to pick up the phone and call that attacker and say, hey, let's get together. So that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that. But he said, when we as followers of Christ go back into sin, go back and embrace sin and don't forsake it, he says, we're doing the same thing. We're going back to the very thing that was destroying us. We are called to forsake sin. Number two, we have a different calling. We possess a different character, a different character. Look at verse three. For there's already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do. Carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousings, lawless idolatry. There's a verse that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I believe that's what Peter's talking about here. He says, don't go back to that old lifestyle as the pagans choose to do. You were once living that way. You once were described that way. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You walked according to the ways of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul describes all of these sins that, 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 that characterize a lot of the people of his day. And he mentions thievery and greedy people and drunkards and homosexuality and uh, being abusive and swindlers. But then he says, such were some of you. Some of you were just like that. That names you. But you've been set free. You've been delivered by the grace of God. Don't go back to that. Don't go back to that sin because now in Christ you have a different character. You're a different person. Doesn't mean we completely forget where we were, but we say we've been delivered from that. A new character. Over the years, it's been so encouraging. We're about to send uh, these students out into some to college, some to, to missions. I, I don't know what all of their plans are. Some were listed in the program there for you. But I, I've noticed over the years as some of these Men have gone away as boys. Rowdy, I can't believe Billy described them as hoodlums, but yeah, that might fit some of these guys, right? They've gone away as boys, and then a year or two or three or four, they come back as young men, polite, respectful, strong, courageous, because maybe they've been in the military, and it's impacted them. And, I, and I've said to some of these guys over the years, man, when you left, you were a boy, but you're a man now. I see a difference in your character. What happened to them? They were changed. God allowed them to go through something that changed their life, and now they, they are not just different on the outside. A lot of those guys bulked up. I could see that. 
But they were different on the inside. They had a new character. That's what the Bible says about us. You're not like you used to be. I thank God by the grace of God that I'm not like I used to be. That's the description there. I have a different character. Number three, we run with a different crowd. We run with a different crowd. He mentions that again, looking at verse four. So they, the other crowd, okay, the, the, the people in the world that you used to run around with, they are surprised that you no longer plunge with them or that you don't plunge with them into that same flood of wild living. So let's look at this crowd. First of all, they're surprised that we don't go back with them. They're surprised that as a follower of Christ now, I don't go back into the way I used to live. Listen, Peter's culture was described in, in this passage here, he just mentions a few of the sins, and we talk about how, how difficult it was to be a believer in those days, some giving their life just to walk and serve Christ. But he says the, the old crowd was surprised that, that, that they wouldn't come back. Listen, the old crowd should look at our lives and say we're different. They should be surprised at our life. Nicky Cruz was a gang member in New York City. The Cross and the Switchblade was written about him, and they made a movie about him. His gang, the Mau Mau's, I think is what they were called. And he was, he was, one, was one, of most, one of the most brutal street gangs in New York City. And because of the influence of, of a pastor, he came to know Christ and he began to walk in obedience to Christ. And his former gang members could not understand why he wanted to follow Christ and why he wanted to go with that preacher. Come on back. We had more fun before you got in all that Jesus stuff. But he stood firm. That's a picture here that Peter is talking about. Your former uh, the folks you used to hang around with, the crowd, they should be surprised that you're walking in obedience now, and they, they should not be able to understand why you don't want to go back, so that gives you an opportunity. What did Peter say in chapter 2? Uh, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. When they're surprised at that, then you can say, here's why things are different. I remember as a teenager when I got saved and accepted Christ as my Savior, I, I, I don't know why, but I had this internal battle going on. Okay, God, I have all these friends that I party with that I hang around with, and now I'm going to trust you as my Savior. What am I going to do with all those relationships? How am I, I going to tell them I don't want to, I'm not comfortable with them anymore? You know what I found out? I didn't have to say anything. They saw a difference in my life. They didn't want to be around me. I didn't have to tell them goodbye. They told me goodbye. They, they were ready, or they, they weren't ready to, to embrace the lifestyle that I was now embracing, following Christ. But here's the deal. They could not understand why I was changing and why I didn't want to party with them anymore. That's what Peter says. They're surprised at that. Secondly, he says they're going to slander us. They will slander us. Look at verse 4. They're surprised, or they're surprised that you don't plunge into this same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will call you names. They will make fun of you. They will try to make up stuff about you. Hudson Taylor, one of the early missionaries to China, I love his story. Years after he was a missionary and years after he had impacted that culture, someone in the Chinese government, the communist government, said, we want to rewrite the biography of Hudson Taylor. So they commissioned this, this Chinese man to look at Hudson Taylor's experience in his life and write a biography about him that, that uh, discounts his impact. In other words, I want, you to write a, I want you to write our version of how he wasn't such a great guy and how, how what he did was wrong. 
and how he tried to change the culture and be an imperialist and all that stuff. And the biographer began to study Hudson Taylor's life years later. And you know what happened? He said, this guy was different. This man's life had been changed. There's no way I could write what you want me to write about him. And he came to know Christ through that experience, probably at the expense of maybe even losing his life in the communist uh, government there. Here's what happened. This man tried to discredit this follower of Christ, and the more he studied his life, the more he saw that man walked with Christ and he was different. Wouldn't that be great to be said about us? If somebody commissioned somebody to study your life, to study my life, and the deeper they got in, the more closets they uncovered, the more rugs they look under, the more they found that this person really is changed. They'll try to slander us, but thirdly, here's a description of that crowd which should break our heart. They are separated from God. They are separated from God. Look at verse 5. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Those are separated from God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote about this in chapter 4, the God of this age, little g, Satan, has blinded them so that they cannot see the truth. Paul told Timothy they've been trapped by the devil. It should break our heart that the crowd that slanders us is separated from God. Not, oh God, help me find a way to put them down. Help me find a way to make them look bad. Help me find a way to discredit them. But, oh God, it's breaking my heart. Help me find a way to share the gospel with them. So he said, be ready always to give an answer to the hope that is within you. Does it break your heart, those people who don't know Christ? who say bad things about you, does it break your heart that they don't know him? Or are you more heartbroken by the way they made you look bad? They are separated from God. Over the years, I haven't prayed it as much as I should, but over the years, God will bring me to a place and I will pray, God, don't let me forget what it was like to be separated from you. I go back, I was praying through this prayer, preparing for this sermon, and I go back to those days before I knew Christ as a rebellious teenager, and I would, I would go to bed at night, and I would lay in my bed, and I would, I would be afraid to close my eyes because I remember that childhood prayer, if I should die before I wake. Remember that prayer? Is that a scary prayer? If I should die before... No, I, so I remember that prayer. I can remember laying there, and I was afraid to even fold my hands like this because I'd seen people in caskets like this. I said, I could die before I wake up without Christ, and I, and I was scared to death to go to sleep because I knew I didn't know Christ. I've said, God, don't let me forget how scary it was even to go to sleep because I didn't know you. I just, that's my prayer, that my heart would be broken over the lostness of folks who need Jesus. They're separated from him. We run with a different crowd. You should. Immerse yourself in a culture of, of followers of Christ. That's good. Don't, don't abandon the former crowd. We still need to share Christ with them, but make your new crowd believers. Number four, we follow a different calendar. Here's how we've changed. We follow a different calendar. Verse two, some have made a, a great deal about this, this statement in verse two there where he says, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, that, that remaining time, that's the time you have left. And then in verse five, I already read this, we will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge. Listen, the calendar I live by as a follower of Christ is one day Jesus is going to call me home. 
And if he doesn't call me home through death, he's gonna call me home when he comes again. My, my calendar should not just be on what I'm gonna accomplish in this life for myself, but it should be about what Jesus has planned for me. I, I want you to look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Just kind of turn back a few books. As Paul writes about the second coming of Christ, chapter four, we'll just start in verse 13. If I can find 1 Thessalonians, we'll be doing good. Okay. I just want to read this to you, not a lot of commentary, but this is what we have to look forward to if we're alive when Jesus comes back. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep or those who have died, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by a revelation of the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with him, with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That refers to the second coming of Christ. If we're still alive, the dead in Christ will rise, then we who are alive will be caught up. That word caught up, some have translated the word to the word rapture. We will be with him. That should be the calendar I live by. Looking forward to the day when Jesus will return. And I'm gonna stand before him and, and Lord willing to hear good and faithful servant. I'm living my life with that at the end of my calendar. I read about a teenager whose mom struggled with this teenager and and the teenager would never keep her room clean. Does that sound familiar? We remember those days. This mom went to her youth pastor and said, Billy, give me some wisdom. No, whatever the youth pastor's name was. I, I don't know what to do with my teenage daughter. Her room's a mess. And he, he suggested, they said, why don't you go tell her you're going you're gonna to just stop in someday unannounced and take a picture of her room and you're going to post it on social media. Just tell her that. So she said, I'll give it a try. She went and told her teenage daughter about her messy room. I'm going to show up someday unannounced. When your room's the messiest, I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to post it on social media. Guess what happened? She cleaned up her room. See, the, the threat of an imminent visit by her mother to make her room public led her to clean her room. That's the picture that Paul gives us in 1 Thessalonians. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. The thought of the imminent return of Christ should be so vivid and so real on my calendar that I'm going to live my life as if he's going to show up today and take a picture of my life and broadcast it to the world. That's a different calendar, folks. But number five really sums it all up. The change that's been made. We are on a different course we are on a different course. Look at verse six again. This, for this reason, the gospel was preached to those who are now dead so that although they may be, might be judged by men in this fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. Jesus said it this way. In Matthew chapter seven, you enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide, the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and how difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Folks, we are on a different course. If you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, and that doesn't mean you just believe about him. It means that by faith you have, you have placed your faith in him. 
You have turned from your sin and you've said, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life and take up residence and take control. If you've made that commitment and turned from your sin, if you're a follower of Christ, you're on that narrow road. But folks, the majority of the world is not on that road. We are headed to a different destination. And it should move us with compassion that our changed life should be impacting others. I read this week about a life that changed course. You may not know the name Norma McCorvey. She was the one whose name was used in Roe versus Wade as Jane Roe. She was an outspoken lesbian, pro-choice. She fought for the legalization of abortion. She was very, a very strong advocate, pro-choice. She was working in an abortion clinic in Dallas, and Operation Rescue moved in next door. Operation Rescue was a faith-based organization that was pro-life. And instead of demeaning her and putting her down, the people at Operation Rescue befriended her and began to just love on her. And it wasn't too long before Norma became friends with the people, the Christians at Operation Rescue, who were on the complete opposite side of the fence, politically, socially, morally. One of the little girls of the, the, whose parents worked in Operation Rescue invited her to church. She went to church. She heard the gospel. She trusted Christ as her Savior. She left her lifestyle. She began to follow Christ. He delivered her from homosexuality, and she started volunteering as a pro-life advocate in Operation Rescue. An outspoken opponent of abortion, now an outspoken, uh, a proponent of abortion, now an outspoken opponent of abortion. Why? Because she had changed. How did she change? Christ changed her life. Listen, folks, what could happen if we would live out the reality of a changed life in our community, in our culture. That's the challenge of 1 Peter chapter 4. You're different. Live it so that others will see, so that you'll have an opportunity to share Christ with them. Let's pray together.